0: You want to be able to have as much time as possible in that same space as your loved ones.
1: Hello
2: there, and welcome to Episode 8 of Connecting ALS. As always, I'm your host, Mike Stevenson, from the Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota chapter of the ALS Association. For December, we've got several interesting interviews to share with you. But before we jump in, we want to call attention to a loss that the ALS community and really the world suffered this week when Pete Frates died at the age of 34. Pete altered the landscape of ALS so greatly, we felt it was important to take a few minutes to discuss his impact. So here's a brief discussion we recorded with our chapter's executive director, Jennifer Jelly, about Pete's legacy. Many of you likely heard the news of Pete Frady's passing this week. His name will forever be associated with the Ice Bucket Challenge and as one of its founders, rightfully so. But Pete's legacy, if you can imagine, is even bigger than that. I'm here with Jennifer Jelly, executive director of the Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota chapter of the ALS Association to talk a little bit about Mr. Frady's and what uh, he has meant to the ALS community. Thanks for joining me, Jen. I'm sorry that it's under these circumstances.
0: Yeah, me too.
2: So Pete Frates was diagnosed in 2012 and was only 34 at the time of his death earlier this week. When you hear his name and reflect upon his life, what's the first thing that comes to mind?
0: Impact. So Pete, I mean, he changed the entire trajectory of the ALS community. Mm. I mean, it's far greater than what it did just for the association, but what it did for the whole global universe of ALS. You look at, you know, what the Ice Bucket Challenge did, and there's really nothing that has been able to hit that level ever since. I mean, $220 million across the globe. And not just that, but if you think about, you know, all these discoveries that have happened since the Ice Bucket Challenge, there's been five new genes that have been discovered, all, you know, plenty of different research opportunities that have led to treatments in the pipeline. These all trace back to Pete and Pat Quinn and Anthony Sinertia when they really kicked off the ice bucket challenge. I mean, it was those three and Pete being a very recognizable face in that effort that changed the whole, the whole game.
2: It's pretty amazing because you think about the aspect of challenge and the millions of people around the world that took the challenge and donated and raised awareness and made a difference. And it's considered this global movement, which it was. But it, as you said, it's not that far-fetched to say that so much of the results, the research progress, the funding that's been dedicated to services for those living with ALS, even the steps that we've taken legislatively, all that can, can point back to Pete and Anthony and Pat.
0: Absolutely. I mean, if you think about how many people were inspired into action. Mm. So it's not just the buckets, and it's not just the money, but people living with ALS that were inspired by Pete's story that maybe stepped up more than they would have, that took action to advocate for themselves and advocate to others that were living with the disease. And that has made such an impact, and it still does, because people are they're never going to stop talking about Pete Mm -hmm. and what he did to give this community a sense of hope that they had never experienced before. And, you know, I think of, you know, he was such an advocate for helping people live in their homes as long as possible, having Mm -hmm. access to care, which is continues to be a huge issue for this community and one that is going to take some pretty massive change. And he really was a big instigator of that.
2: Yeah, he he very quickly following the challenge transitioned into an advocacy role, and he was so passionate about that issue of living independently as long as you can, staying in your home as long as you can, and he's someone who, in the later stages of his, of his disease, you know, required a lot of care, yeah. and his family was saddled with a lot of medical expenses, and he spoke about that openly, and as you said, Inspired others to get involved, inspired others to take control of their situation. And I think for those living with ALS, uh, they really saw Pete as that voice and the leader in that way.
0: Right. Because if you think of, you know, someone like Pete, who's young, you know, he's 27 at the age of diagnosis. He has his daughter in 2014, the same month of the Ice Bucket Challenge. Mm-hmm. You want to be able to have as much time as possible in that same space as your loved ones, like your children, like your family. And the level of care that someone needs as their disease progresses I mean, obviously that increases. And it's going to continue to be something that we are actively fighting for to make sure that people can not only live independently as long as they can, but then be in a space where... They're comfortable and where they're cared for and that's really going to be a huge part of pete's legacy
2: pete's name won't be forgotten he, absolutely he's, he's not. going to live on in that way people will carry on his legacy i know that his family and large group of supporters out there in boston are going to honor him and support the efforts in defining treatments and a cure his name is not one that should be forgotten we are sorry to have lost another wonderful human being to ALS, and our deepest sympathies uh, go out to the Frady's family. Jen, thanks for taking the time to remember Pete today. Thank you. As I mentioned at the end of that interview, our thoughts are with the Frady's family as they process this loss, and I'm sure many of you will be sharing your own condolences this month and finding ways to honor Pete. Well, there's not a particularly easy transition from that discussion, but we thought it would be worthwhile in the month of December to touch on family gatherings and how to communicate with loved ones about ALS. Anne Supplee is our in-house expert on the subject and she sat down to share her thoughts. We're joined today by Anne Supplee of the ALS Association. Anne is part of our amazing care services team. And this is her second appearance on Connecting ALS. I think you were on our first episode. I
3: was. Yeah. Uh,
2: Well, thanks for being back here. How are you doing, Anne?
3: I'm well, thanks.
2: Good, good. So we're in the midst of the holiday season, end of year. And of course, that often means gathering with family and friends and colleagues and neighbors, lots of kind of festive meetings this time of year. And uh, people will be taking the time to celebrate and get together and catch up. And for families living with ALS, this time of the year can present some unique challenges. And I've got a few questions for you that I think might be pretty timely uh, for our listeners. So if you're gathering with your family or a group of friends here in December, maybe this is the first time that you've seen your loved one that's living with ALS in quite some time. A lot of times families aren't able to get together for months. Mm-hmm. And it's very possible that this person has progressed since the last time that you were together. Is there an appropriate way to address those changes to acknowledge the progression of the disease that won't make them necessarily feel self-conscious or uncomfortable?
3: Yeah, that's a tricky question because I think so often people feel uncomfortable Mm -hmm. or are aware of their own inability to do the things they used to do. As you know, I facilitate the support group for young adults with a parent with ALS, and this is one of their concerns as they come back from college.
4: Mm,
3: So we talk a lot about how do you do that and what do you say? And I think if it feels important to you to acknowledge, I think it's important to say, wow, this feels different, or Mm. it seems like the ALS is progressing, you know, to sort of make it more about the ALS progressing rather than you can't do things. The loss of whatever it is, yeah. And I will say that my understanding is that that can open up all kinds of conversations too, Mm -hmm. where people can really talk honestly and openly about what's going on and that that can be really freeing and engaging.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people struggle with me included, you know, just initiating those conversations mm-hmm. can be tough. What's mm-hmm. your What's your way in? And of course, you want to kind of take the lead from the person living with and their family yeah. and just get a feel for what's right. But starting that conversation can be helpful.
3: Mm-hmm. And one of the questions that I think, well, that I like more than how are you is how has this been for you? Mm. Because that's a really different question than, you know, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. Right. How has this been for you can open up a more thoughtful response about, you know, it's been really hard and I'm, Love having everybody together or whatever that looks like. So it's a different question that gets at how are you without asking,
2: uh, how you doing? That's good advice. That's good advice because that's the default, I think, for everyone when when you're seeing someone for the first time in a while. It can also be an opportunity to discuss care and support options. I know oftentimes... Friends and family of those living with ALS are doing their own research and reading online and maybe visiting the association's website or listening to a podcast and they hear about different things and they're curious. Maybe they're often curious about what is happening in an ALS clinic too. Approaching those conversations, do you do you want to just jump right in or do you, in, in that situation, is it best to, to let the person living with ALS take the lead? Because that can be even more personal.
3: It can, and I think part of it depends on your relationship. You know, if it's, I I know for myself, my dad had Parkinson's, he didn't have ALS, but when I would see him, I would say, so what's going on? Mm -hmm. Because I wanted to know, and sometimes he shared and sometimes he didn't, and sometimes my mom shared and my dad didn't. Mm. So I think it depends on the relationship that you have. One of the things that we hear a lot mm-hmm. from family members, particularly caregiving spouses, is that they wish people would give less advice mm-hmm. because that happens too. Like you said, people are learning yeah. and researching, and people want to give advice and want to, to share the things they're learning. And, and partly that's a way for people to be connected, you know, to do the research and try and be helpful. Yeah. What we hear from families particularly caregiving spouses, is I wish people would give me less advice mm-hmm. because it's not ultimately helpful. Mm-hmm. And we're really lucky in our service area to have really strong ALS clinics. Yep. And so whatever people are learning at clinic is their best option, mm-hmm. really.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, understanding that, recognizing that they're getting the best care that's available to them. Right. And while you do want to help in any way you can, probably best not to jump right into offering the advice. Correct. On, on care options. Yeah. yeah. I get that. Let's talk about meals. Large spreads of food, feasts, a lot of times part of family holiday traditions mm-hmm. and friends holiday traditions. For those who have maybe lost the ability to swallow or eat as they once could and are perhaps still grieving that loss what's the best way to keep them engaged during those meal times
3: i think the best thing is to ask them what they'd like obviously to say you know before the actual dinner yeah to say so do you want to have your tube feeding now do you want to have it at dinner do you want to just taste food? Because some people will just be able to still taste mm. some food and mm-hmm. do pleasure eating without getting all their calories that way. And different people will do different things. Most people want to be at the table because yeah, that's part. Yeah, that's part of it. That's part, a huge
2: You, you exactly. want to be involved in the conversation.
3: Exactly. Mm. And I think for the people around them to not make a huge deal out of it. Mm. You know, to not have every other person saying, oh, do you want, oh, sorry, are you eating mashed potatoes? Like, just... Let them be and enjoy the conversation. Yeah. Assume responsibility for yourself.
2: Oh, that's good. That's really good advice. And I like what you said about having the conversation before the meal starts. Right. You know, you don't want to draw any undue attention right then, as mm-hmm. everybody's sitting down. But but say, you know, what is going to make this a better experience for you? Mm-hmm.
3: And as much as possible, I think being as transparent as possible, you know, so the person hosting talks to the person with ALS and then says. You know, Joe is going to be here and wants to be a part of the conversation Mm -hmm. and wants to hear what's going on, Mm -hmm. but isn't going to be eating today. And just put that out there so everybody knows and it's comfortable and everyone isn't wondering what's going to happen next.
2: Yeah, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. Open
3: communication is such an important piece. Key, very key. Mm -hmm.
2: So we talked about maybe wanting to stay away from offering caregivers and those living with ALS advice on their care. But if you're getting together and knowing that there may be additional stressors for the family over the holidays, whether it's preparing for an event or traveling somewhere or whatever it may be, what kind of help in particular should you think about offering? Or again, do you you wait to be asked? I know there are different schools of thought Mm -hmm. on this one.
3: Yeah. I would say if you are wanting to help the person with ALS, my first thing would be to encourage the person to take a breath and just think about, why am I offering this? Is it because I really wanna be helpful and supportive or because I'm impatient and them tying their own shoes is taking too long and I just wanna get out the door? Mm. And if it's from that place of impatience, I think it's okay to sit in that and Mm -hmm. just be in your own impatient self. That's okay. If you really want to be helpful and assist the person, I really like the offer-ask idea. Would you like, I'm happy to help you tie your shoes. Would would that be helpful? Mm. It looks like you could use some help cutting your meat. Do you want me to do that? Mm. So that you're giving the person control over their own lives. Yeah. One of the things that's so tough with this disease is the loss. That losses has over and over and over again. And loss of
2: independence.
3: And loss of independence, loss of ability, sometimes loss of speech. Yeah. And that that's just hard on the soul. Mm-hmm. And so to give the person the opportunity to say yes, I would like you to twist the cap off of my soda or whatever, that that's, it's just respectful.
2: Yeah. And I bet that applies to caregivers as well. Absolutely. You know, do you want some help cleaning up Mm -hmm. with this or is there anything I can do?
3: Or to say, I'd like to help you clean up. Would you like that? And I think the other side of that is to be clear about what you can offer don't offer to show up with a meal every week Mm. if you actually can't do that. Right. If you are really uncomfortable feeding someone, don't offer that. Yeah. Offer what's within your ability. And then for the caregiver and the person with ALS, to be gracious about accepting help. I know we're in the upper Midwest, and that is not... That's tough. We are stoic Midwesterners. We've
2: talked about that a lot, just being able to accept that kind of help, and it depends on where you're at and how yep. you're feeling, and that's part of it, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, my last question for you, Anne, is really kind of a logistical one, but it it comes up a lot this time of year, particularly in our part of the country where weather maybe is, is going to have an impact, but if, if you're getting together with family and friends, should you offer first to visit the person living with ALS directly and where they're at in their home, knowing that their mobility challenges, if they have them, may make it tough to travel to, mm-hmm. to that gathering? Or is the, on the flip side, you know, does that then place the burden of them on hosting? Or do you, you know, right. how do you play that's, that one?
3: That's tricky. I think again, you know, as much communication as can happen ahead of time. Right. And, and again, to be clear about what what one can offer. I'm happy to host this year. Would that be helpful to you? hmm Seems like it's harder for, you know, Joe. I keep using Joe. I don't, it's okay. Whoever that is. It seems like it's harder for Joe to get out and about. Would you like us to bring all the food? Would you like me to show up an hour early yeah. to help? And again, if you can show up an hour early, offer that. And if you're not going to be there an hour early, don't offer (laughs) that. (laughs) Yeah, good point. But I think it depends because some people like to get out and about and be social. And there are opportunities for people to use airbnbs to hmm. rent spaces in hotels that are usually accessible so there are other ways to do that too yeah. if you want to host a big group that's a people good are really creative about figuring out how to do that
2: that's a good thought mm-hmm. and it- it really seems like communication has been a theme uh, yeah. of this conversation, and, and maybe that's the most important thing to take away from this is that if you're having these kind of questions and wondering about how best to approach the situations of gathering around the holidays with your loved one living with ALS, talk to their family, talk yeah. to them, You know, make sure everyone is on the same page right. about uh, what's going on.
3: Yeah, and I think to remember that we're all just human and we're gonna mess up sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that if you ask something in a way that comes across as really awkward, that's okay. You know, better to ask and be awkward about it than to pretend nothing's wrong.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Also good advice. Anne thank you so much. This is really helpful and I know that this time of year people will appreciate hearing this.
3: And they're always welcome to call any of us and care services.
2: Absolutely right. Thank you. (music) I know we covered some tricky topics in that interview, and as Anne alluded to, if you do have follow-up questions about similar scenarios in your life, I encourage you to reach out to your local chapter of the ALS Association to get some valuable advice. And while we're on the subject of holidays and family traditions, producer Garrett Tiedemann spent some time with the Nepson family from Osseo, Minnesota. Jan was diagnosed with ALS in June of 2018, and she and her daughter-in-law, Dawn, talked about the importance of their family holiday gatherings And what it's been like to transition responsibilities as Janice needed more help. Take a listen.
1: What has changed for Kurt and I, it seems more important that we, although it's harder, Mm -hmm. that we stick with it and that we do it. And in the end, we're so glad we did
4: It really reemphasizes the importance of everything. So if you are thinking of new
0: beginnings, you might look at maybe a different outlook or a different approach that us children bring to it, realizing things are going to be changing. So we really do need to appreciate it and treasure it and put it in a little time
1: capsule because, you know, you only have so long doing it. Okay, we have been hosting Thanksgiving for many years since our parents were unable to do it. And it's been a family tradition that we host either Thanksgiving or Christmas, and my brother, who passed away this last year, now his children host the other holiday. And we alternate every other year. There is 21 of us for this extended family holiday. To tell the truth, this year has been harder than last year with ALS. I'm more tired and I need to take breaks and naps. A little shortness of breath when I overdo, but we thank God many times a day that I'm doing as well as I'm doing. And our motto is to live life today, but plan for the future with ALS. We had a very special, uh, special surprise this year. And the surprise was, my nephew, who is 50 and has never been married, but he does have a teenage daughter, proposed marriage to his girlfriend, who is also 50 and has never been married, with no children. We were so thrilled, and we love her so much. The best was when his daughter, who is 13, asked Julie, the girlfriend, if she could call her mom. After that, The dessert was served. We popped champagne corks the rest of the night and partied. It was awesome. And so we wish you all out there happy holidays and hope you have a wonderful time with friends and family. Yes, we did know. Okay. We knew um, we were sworn to secrecy because my nephew knows that auntie's got to be prepared for everything. We, we get prepared even though there is nothing special going on. That's just kind of how we roll.
2: In our final segment of this episode, we stuck with the thread of finding ways to help loved ones living with ALS in an interview with ALS Association Volunteer Manager, Laura Winterstein. Laura shed some light on an available resource called Care Connection that many families have found useful. All right, we are here with Laura Winterstein, Volunteer Manager, at our chapter of the ALS Association to talk about a resource available to families living with ALS Laura, thanks for being here today.
4: Thank you for having me.
2: We are exploring different options for caregivers to find help, be it through their local chapter, the ALS Association, or another avenue. One that I want to cover with you today, Laura, is Care Connection. What can you tell us about that?
4: Care Connection is a program through the ALS Association that is really a way for people to organize the friends and family and community that wants to help a person living with ALS and their family member through an online calendar.
2: And the calendar is the primary function for that. How does it work?
4: So the calendar is the primary function. We have a website, als.lotsahelpinghands.com. Important to note, LOTSA is spelled (laughs) L-O-T-S-A. And through that, people can set up any sort of needs they have on this calendar, and then people can sign up to help when they find a need that works for what they want to do and their availability.
2: Nice. So once you've set it up, and we'll we'll put that website in our show notes so, so that people can find it pretty easily, but once they've set up that calendar, their friends, their neighbors, their networks, they can easily access that and kind of see what's going on and when, so they can decide if they're able to help. Is that how it goes? Exactly. What are some of the other functions and features of Care Connection outside that calendar? Are there other things you can do on there?
4: There are. There's three additional components. And when setting up the calendar, you can opt in or opt out of them, and at any time, opt in or out of them. So the first one is announcements. Hmm. So basically a journal to post announcements about things going on, updating the community about what is happening with the person with ALS and their family. But also another thing that the journal can be used for is a flexible need, I think would maybe be the best way to put it. So something that isn't date and time specific, maybe visitors coming over or things like that, post a need in the journal. People can comment when they want to do it, and then the coordinator can schedule that on the calendar so the family knows when that particular person will arrive.
2: That sounds nice. Pretty slick. Mm-hmm. Anything else on there that families might find useful?
4: Yes. There's a well wishes section. So that's a place where people in the community can post notes to the family, prayers, just any sort of thing to let them know that they're thinking of them. And then there's also a section for photos. So families can upload photos, and then the members of the community can upload photos as well.
2: Cool. It sounds a little bit like a social network. Am I reading that right? I mean, is it, it has features like a social network.
4: Somewhat it does, yes.
2: And that leads me to my next question, because I think anytime that you're putting this sort of information online with that kind of availability, there's going to be concerns about privacy and we know the trouble that some various social networks have had recently keeping data safe. What are the the privacy controls that are available through Care Connection?
4: So the community created through the Lots of Helping Hands website is always going to be private. Mm. So all the specifics around the calendar, the journal, the well wishes, the photos, those will always be private and be behind a login screen. There's two options for setting up the calendar. One is to allow people to search for it. And there's an option to put in a public description that will come up when people search. If people do elect to do it that way, it will be indexed by Google. So people just need to be aware that it will show up in Google results. Okay. The other way is to not make it public so it can't be searched publicly on their website. And then that just takes a little more finesse when inviting people to participate because all the... In- invitations to join the community will have to come internally Mm. from the family or the other coordinators that are helping manage the community.
2: Sure. Well, that's nice that there are some options and some control set up so you can decide really how much you want people in your networks to see, how much you want the public to see. You have control over that, which is reassuring.
4: Yep. And another thing to note is People can shut down their community at any time. So they can completely take it offline if they feel like they no longer need it. Mm. Whatever it is, they can shut it down with one click.
2: Oh, that's nice, too. And that was actually going to be my next question. Are there fees associated with it? Is there a subscription involved? How does that all? It's completely free. Oh, great. That's really great. Uh, We hear from families all the time that one of the most difficult things to do following an ALS diagnosis is to ask for help for a variety of reasons, many of us just aren't comfortable making that ask. Does Care Connection in any way help solve that problem?
4: Absolutely it does. By identifying a family's needs, they're allowing people to opt in to help. So you put all your needs out there. You don't have to make a specific ask of a person. I think a lot of times people will offer help, but just the general help, Mm
3: -hmm. which can be
4: really hard to identify. Do they want to do this thing I might need them to do?
3: Mm -hmm. So
4: if you put all of your needs on a calendar, people can look at it, select what is going to work for their schedule. So for example, someone with a lot of time might want to do childcare or pick up or drop off at school, whereas someone with more limited time might double their recipe and then bring over a meal that they also are having for dinner.
2: That sounds like a nice option for both sides, both the family requesting help and their friends and other community members that may want to help because that specificity is there. Like you said, and it helps identify exactly what the needs are so you know what you're getting into on each side of it. That That's great. You mentioned the website and we'll, we will put that in our show notes, but Again, tell us where folks should look online, and is this something they can access on their mobile devices as well?
4: They can. So if they want to find it on our website, it's under our local care services section, and then creating your care community, and that will have all the links, including an easy start guide that's posted there. Nice. You can use it online on a desktop. It's also mobile responsive for people who are using it on phones and tablets. Okay. And then there's also an app that people can download. Oh,
2: there's an app too. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you can do that, sign in there, and then it just pops up.
4: Exactly. That's
2: great. That's great. Ease of use. Very cool. So say I want to get started. I'm ready to set up my Care Connection network but I maybe am a little bit hesitant or need help getting started. Who can I talk to about that?
4: People can call me here at the office. I have my own Care Connection community, so I'm able to troubleshoot over the phone and help people get started with that setup. If someone feels like they need additional help or maybe in-person help getting it set up, they can request a volunteer to help them out through the Family Assistance Program. We also make a recommendation that the person setting up the community is not an immediate family member. Hmm. Just because we recognize that they have so many things going on in their life, they might not have time to manage this as well.
2: Oh, that makes sense.
4: So if they don't have someone who's able to take on that task, again, they can request a volunteer to work with them and manage the calendar to sort of make it easier for them to receive the help without having to do the legwork of putting in all the calendar activities.
2: That's excellent. So if you are in Minnesota, North Dakota, or South Dakota, you can call us here at the ALS Association and talk to Laura. She'll get you straightened out and and down the path of care connection. And if you're outside our region, we encourage you to check with your local ALS chapter about this resource and how you can get started if it's something you're interested in. Laura, thank you so much for being willing to chat today about this valuable topic. We're looking forward to getting it into the Connecting ALS feed so our listeners can dive in.
4: Thank you for having me.
1: That
2: will conclude episode eight of Connecting ALS. Thanks to all of our guests this month and to you for giving us a listen. Please do check out ConnectingALS.org and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Also, follow us on Facebook and Twitter so you can catch up on all the latest episodes and bonus content. Connecting ALS is produced by Garrett Tiedemann at the ALS Association's Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota chapter in St. Paul, Minnesota. We hope you all have a pleasant and peaceful end to your year, and we will connect with you again in 2020.